Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Star Room, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Jen Plem and Cheryl Perry from Charlotte Smarty Pants. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're sitting down with Jonathan Hederle, a counselor at Southeast Psych here in Charlotte. As you might remember, Jonathan was part of our town hall on social media parenting 3.0, and we consider him one of our favorite resident experts. Uh, Today, we're talking about the 13 Reasons Why series on Netflix. For those of you not familiar or if you have younger kids, some of your tweens and teens might already be binging on this. It's targeted to middle and high school children, and it's a series based on the 2007 bestseller book by Jay Asher. It illustrates a 17-year-old girl who commits suicide and leaves behind her 13 Reasons Why she went through the act. Along with suicide, the show addresses underage drinking, sexual assault, bullying, drugs, sex, Basically, everything we don't want our kids to watch. <laughs> um, so, spoiler alert, if you're really watching this to binge, we're going to be talking about it. So, go ahead and tune out. But um, season one came out last fall. caused a lot of controversy in the parenting community. Season two just came out a few weeks ago. Um, I binged on it uh, with the direction of our uh, middle school principal. I figured if he binged, I, w- I need to do this. So, um, anyway, so that's what we're talking about. So... To you, Jonathan, 13 Reasons obviously targets young teens. Uh, What do you think an appropriate age is for a teen to see very graphic content wrapped around all of these topics? Great question. It's loaded. It feels feels like the showrunners took every after-school special topic and then put it in this one click of teens at this one high school. I watched the entire first season. I actually wrote about wrote about it in a three or four part series on Shrink Tank. And then I've watched several episodes of season two. My wife has had the uh, privilege, if you want to call that, we did rock, paper, scissors of who was going to watch it and then watch it with one of our children who um, is interested in it, wanted to watch it. Our other uh, daughter has zero interest whatsoever in watching it. And that's one of the the challenges because it's not even just an age, but it's in terms of their maturity, their ability to grapple, not even just sensitive topics, but the visualization right. of sensitive topics. And how old are your kids? Because you can't unsee sure. it. I have a rising 10th grader, okay. and she is the one that has zero interest in watching it. And she, or last year when it came out, she's like, I don't want to watch that. that mm-hmm. That's too upsetting. So she'll watch horror movies, but things that are really more real life, anchored in yeah. real life, mm-hmm. that's... You know, that's not something that she's really interested in. My middle schooler is the one that was desperately begging us to watch it. And again, we've we talked about on a a previous episode when I've been on, she is the most responsible, mature one in the family. And so we were really faced with a a challenge. It's like our younger one is the one that both wants to see this and she's probably better able to 
right. handle some of it. Not all of it, that's that's questionable, but she'd also be the one that would process it with us. Mm-hmm. She's very open. We have a great line of communication. Our teenager, she's a typical teenager. She keeps to herself. She doesn't want to talk to mom and dad. You know, if she could have five bolts on her door, like she would do that. So it was a really interesting both opportunity and challenge of do we let her watch this? And for season one, after we had watched it, my wife and I made the decision, okay, she can watch it with you. You had to rewatch Which it. Which is really hard to watch yeah. as being the parent with your child. Yeah. Because there are some so scenes where it's like, it's like know, watching Black Swan. Oh, it's so And, and yeah. so... By watching it with her, my wife has had the ability to skip scenes or sections to talk immediately after. This is not a bingeable show. I mean, that's one of the challenges is that from very early on, we said, well, you know, we're going to watch this when it works with mommy's schedule and availability because it's not just watching it. It's processing it. Discussing. Just discuss um, things, things of that nature. And so then they've they've watched. They are, they are in the process of watching the second season as well. My wife has had to watch it beforehand. Ha <laughs> ha, she had, she had to be the one that watched the whole thing. I just watched enough to understand. And then I know everything that happens just in, in my role in my profession. But I am not a person that, um, you know, again, we've talked about uh, part of my job is – empowering people to use their common sense and take responsibility. I never want to take away a parent's right to parent their kids the way they see fit. It's just really recognizing the implications because they're the one that has to live with the outcome. So I never tell a parent necessarily, absolutely don't watch this. This is not appropriate for teens. Or yes, this is a great teachable moment. It's step back Mm -hmm. and say, you know, where are your kids? But also, where are you as a parent? Because I deal with, even though I work with teens and young adults, I do a lot of anxious parenting consultation because parents, man, they are tightly wound in this generation. And mm-hmm. it's not their fault, but man, I don't remember this this level of anxiety in, in daily parenting in generations past. And there's a lot of a lot of reasons for that. That could be a different podcast That's episode. 26 That's, reasons why. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, right. but, but normally I would say, like, first of all, first and foremost, if a parent is considering that, and this this is one of the hard parts of parenting, like you gotta you gotta watch it. You gotta be familiar with it. Right. You gotta be in their space. What if what if the child has already watched you know, a lot of kids have access to Netflix. Sure. What if they've already watched it and now a parent's listening to this and asks their child and the child's like, Oh yeah, I watched oh, yeah, it already. I watched it, I'm fine. What what should a parent do? So Sure. And then that would first and foremost that I would step back as a parent and say, Okay, again, we've talked about technology and social media, what's yeah. a right versus what's a privilege. Like my kids know that they they have a good rule of thumb of what they need to ask us to watch about because there is a stamp mm-hmm. in accounts of what's been viewed. But then I would sit back and start a conversation where it's really about openness. You want to hear what, you know, why were they interested in it? Mm-hmm. it you know, because if it's simply like all my friends watched it and they were talking about it and I felt like I was the odd person out, that's different versus, you know, I really was interested in the subject matter or the mm-hmm. topics. Uh, you know, so you want to see what what's the entry point for a young person and then helping them kind of understand the content and the context, helping them process the emotions behind it. Because that's one of the biggest fears for both parents and mental health professionals and, and overall society is does this content – you know, what happens once it, it permeates a young person's mind and brain? Like, what are they it. doing with that? And do they have an, a, a very um, reasonable outlook of how to understand and interpret mm-hmm. 
what they've seen through the series itself. Do you think we're giving it too much weight or or do you think it's a real thing that it can be something that kids take with them and use later? You know, the ideas or the do we Yeah, well, I mean, we actually talked about this on our podcast, the String Tank podcast here recently. And I think the overall research suggests both sides of the coin are true. This has the capacity to help some people that really gives them some empowerment and voice if they've been a victim of sexual assault. It also helps frame some people's understanding of mental health, depression, or anxiety. And if they are having some um, ideation of, of harming themselves or taking their own life. But the flip side of that coin is is that if somebody is young, impressionable, or struggling with mental health or mental illness, we know that their reality testing and their, co- their cognition may be compromised because of their mental health and their struggles. And so they can be much more impressionable to consider this as a viable mm-hmm. option um, to deal with the struggles that they have with life. So is it one or the other? The research suggests that it's both. And that's, again, why you have to come right. back to knowing your kids and knowing where they are, which with or without mental health, with or without 13 Reasons Why, that's a that's a hard enough thing as a parent is right. to feel like you really know your kids, uh, their internal lives and their internal Especially selves. Especially because they're evolving and changing so much in the preteen and teen years. You know, they, they're different than when they were really little. So it is hard to know as a parent. It, it is. And the, as parents, if we step back and, and we think about the day-to-day lives of teens, the first thing that throws a lot of parents off is like the language, the subject matters. That's actually pretty normal for most teens. And so we're thinking like, oh, 13 Reasons Why, they've all packaged this in one series to be very provocative. Mm -hmm. But if they're on other social media, they're watching YouTube or just conversations on the bus, uh, you know, at at, uh, cheer camp, whatever that may be, every day at school, these topics are coming up. So as parents, again, we always feel like we're catching up to youth and teen culture. But again, it's sort of, but what's their takeaway? It's one thing for them to have these kids that they know talk about some of these topics. It's another that something that's really designed to be provocative or it's selling itself as informative and mm-hmm. designed for their, their betterment when I think there is a, a lot of valid questions to what really is the motive and the outcome from the show. I think the motive is no doubt money. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. I mean the, shock, the, the fact that they've packed every single – minus two that are actually going to be in season three um, – every single possible horrible situation that a teen might face packed in one group of however many friends – is obvious shock value to me. And I I think personally, I think it's a little bit socially irresponsible of Netflix to, to, to market it to teens, especially season one, when we didn't even know what was happening until our teens started watching it. Then we watch it. Now I'm hooked in a sense, like, what are they going to do next? And every time it outdoes the episode. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty insane. And I just, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it's doing maybe a little more harm than good in some situations. Um, and just like you said, it, it goes both ways. It's shedding light on some great conversations that we would probably never want to have with our kids and probably too late. But one of them that I think resonates with me is the, you know, the there's a lot of there's a lot of rape scenes throughout the entire seri- season, seasons one and two. It propels into something horrific with um, sodomy and bullying. 
but it also there's this underlying tone of when is it a you know when a girl says no mm-hmm. you know that's hard to teach our boys and um and girls no matter how much alcohol you've had or anything you know it's so there's some good things in it but there's so much graphic gory detail that I feel like the difference between a 12-year-old watching this and a 17-year-old, those are, I mean, that's night and day of what they can process and really um, what they've even been exposed to. Sure. Um, so. I mean, if you step back and think about it, 13 Reasons Why is almost every parent's nightmare. It, totally. Every, mm-hmm. every, the greatest it fear is. as a parent, they have, an, they have an episode for that. They have a season <laughs> They have 26 for of them that. now. <laughs> and yet... And, and we and wonder why we're all anxious. We're yeah. so stressed out. <laughs> well, and part of it also is is the the media reporting of it. So right. when we think about let's say guilty. thirteen reasons why, or even if, if we step back and talk about something like a, a school shooting, the media has a certain level of responsibility and guidelines of how they report this. And we've really moved into an era of sensationalized media coverage because, as horrific as it sounds. The old mantra of news was if it bleeds, it leads. So a headline that's really inspiring or informative, uh, those are going to get short shelf lives in 24-hour social media news cycles. But if it's something that perpetuates fear, perpetuates anger or contempt, it's going to live on longer and longer. One of the interesting things was season one, which I think they did a more responsible job of of, – I agree. I I felt like their intentions – were more admirable and pure, even Same. if if they didn't necessarily stick the landing in a number of ways. But it got all of this huge hoopla and right. coverage. And the second season, one of the interesting things that I was following was, number one, I don't think the from a quality standpoint, I just don't think season two is is as good. I think right. it's I don't think it's Never a good is, series. Right? The and the second is that I think they've They've tried to they've they've jumped the shark to use pop culture lingo. Now they're trying to both correct criticisms of season one, but right. while also making new the same or new problems in season two. But the interesting thing was that when it dropped, it was the same time as the recent school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas. Mm-hmm. And you saw a lot of the air come out of the show because it kind of called into question, do we need a fictional thing to to drive the narrative in our culture when there are real-life implications right. going on? I mean, one of the things that I'm thankful for the show, even if I think they may have gone about it in questionable ways, is it is raising important conversations about suicide mm-hmm. and about sexual assault in our culture. Most people aren't aware, but for every age demographic up to age 75 – Suicide rates have been increasing for the last 10 to 15 years. That means every demographic, it's going up. Wow. And so, you know, it's it's helping start a conversation, but again, without pointing to like where and who do we go to for a real anchored and, and kind of critical analysis of what does this mean and, and how do we empower and help both teens and their parents have these conversations because, unfortunately, in the profession that I'm in, I can probably point to every middle school or high school in Charlotte that they've had to deal with these real-life conversations, right. not the show, that somebody at their school ended their life, took their life this year. And right. and so to me, it's, it's kind of like, 
all right, at what point do we not need fictional content to drive or, or right. point out that there's a real need? And our culture, in a lot of ways, is struggling and hurting with a lot of things. Well, and how, what, that brings up a good point. What are some resources that we have locally, or if you, if as a parent, we think our teen is on the track to harm themselves or, or struggling with or others, or, you know, like what, what are, what's, like it seems like sometimes in some situations it can take your a parent by complete surprise. Sure. So, boom, what do you do? Well, I think first and foremost is is to start with the information that you actually have. And what I mean by that is this, is if you have a strong family history of mental health, depression, or anxiety, or, or other challenges, it's like be very aware of that because – the onset of mental health um, struggles really is the middle school, high school, when we start ushering in the developmental puber puberty stage where emotional dysregulation happens. The second would be if they've already exhibited early childhood struggles or even trauma. Those those are things that you already know. Such that, as what? Like what are? Well, like bullying. If your kid has been bullied, if they show real difficulties with impulse control over emotional escalation, cognitive distortions where they make a little thing a big thing. And mm -hmm. and if you if you lay out that checklist in front of a teen parent, they would say, my kid has all of those because they're a teenager. And right. I'd say, you're right. But let's step back and look very early on. Does your kid show struggles with mm -hmm. everyday life tasks and communicating versus misreading other people? Have they been bullied? Do they demonstrate a lot of loneliness? Have they had a lot of behavioral or social problems? Those already kind of highlight your kid may be at a higher risk mm -hmm. for mental health challenges. We always start with what we know. We always start with what we know. And, and then for parents listening to this early on, that's when you start an open conversation and dialogue with your kids about not what they're doing, but how they're doing. Because that's one of the biggest things that changes from parenting elementary and young kids to tweens and teens is like as academic performance starts to become more of the priority and as we look for how they're spending their time, more often than not, teens report that all my parents care about are my grades. They are, they're asking me what I'm doing, not how I'm doing. And usually when I'll do a family session and parents say, I want to hear what my kids have to say. I really want to know what they think and how they're feeling. The second their child says something that, that they challenge or dispute or they feel like it's criticizing them, they'll cut them off. They'll interrupt them. So parents, do you really want to know what your, parent, your kids are thinking and how they're feeling? Because you got to send that message and open a real strong line of communication for that. Otherwise, your kids become experts in hiding what's really going on, which usually means for a lot of kids, when you start to see a sign that they're struggling, they've been struggling a lot longer, but they've either tried to hide it, they've tried to posture or overcome it, or they actually haven't showed you because they generally don't feel like my parents care. My parents only care about academics. And for guys, a lot of times that's true because usually the, the last straw for parents to kind of come in and have their kids see me is like their grades started to mm -hmm. fade. Well, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, at that point, it's just like – too late. Well, the, and then they <laughs> well they late. want a they want a quick fix. Right. Yeah. They want a they when want they a quick want, right. fix, and it's like, well, do you realize that your kid's been maybe struggling with anxiety or depression for years, but they were always like, oh, he's just kind of that's just him. It's like, but but either did he tell you and you didn't listen, or have you not created that relationship where they feel like I can't go to mom and dad because they don't care? And I've had a lot of parents that just think I think they're lazy. 
they, you know, they overreact. And when you send that message early on, well, why do you think your kid is going to come to you when they have some real, genuine, really concerning mental health struggles that they've gotten the message that mom and dad don't care? They, mm-hmm. they think I overreact. They think I dismiss it. Right. Well, is there um, a protocol to we call Southeast Psych or we call our pediatrician or we call the 1-800, which please say that number, whatever the 1-800 number is. Um, what's the protocol when you start to feel like your child does need help and you don't know what exactly it is? Sure. Um, I think there's a different protocol if you do think your child is har- is at risk for harming themselves. There's an emergency protocol. Absolutely. Then there's another protocol of setting up a program. But also, how does that come into play with cost? Because mental health care sure. is so expensive and it many is. times cost prohibitive for many families. It, it really is. And I think the starting point is you always encourage and point your kid to an adult that they generally feel like cares about them, and they could see themselves opening up to. So that may be a pediatrician. That may be a parent or an older sibling if they're of a mature and responsible age. It may be a coach. It may be the parent of a friend. It may be a guidance counselor. But we want them to, to create a safe environment where they can feel without without judgment or overreaction. Um, tell us what's going on because w- without – Hearing from the source, we as parents or even mental health professionals were left with a lot of, of gaps and, and blanks. And then it's really – and for a lot of, a lot of people, the starting point will be a pediatrician because they're familiar with that. It's right. not a new person. It can be very – it can be very scary to walk into a psychology practice or a therapist's office. That's, you know, at Southeast Psych, we really try to make it a very warm and inviting space because for me personally, you know, no offense anyone out there, but dentist office are the worst place in the world for me. The last thing I ever want to do is step into a dentist's <laughs> office. So if you go into some place that's already kind of cold and sterile, you're already going to come in with some, some walls mm-hmm. and barriers. Mm-hmm. But then th- there's a difference between opening a line of communication and, and possibilities for the ups and downs of, of mental health because we know during the teen years that people go through situations and periods where their anxiety may flare up or they may struggle with some depression, but it's really externally responsive. So it's like a really stressful or challenging phase of life. They're dealing with something, but when that really gets sort of resolved or they feel very hopeful and optimistic that they can handle it, you see a lot of that anxiety or depression decrease to where it's like, okay, yeah, that's everyday life. But when you start to see either the inability to manage it or it escalates and and it, it, it continues to compound, that's really when you want to reach out to to some mental health professionals. And there's a lot of resources out there, with, whether it be with school counselors, whether it be with um, going through uh, insurance, whether it some places that do reduce fees or, or um, kind of sliding scale. The, the biggest challenge I think a lot of people have because of the whether it be the cost or the insurance versus out-of-network is we as a society – kind of automatically prioritize our overall health and well-being or even let's say like our dental like you go for preventative mm-hmm. and maintenance with mental health we tend to only go when there's a problem Major and by the problem. time there's a problem right. like I just mentioned earlier that it may have been going on for a, a while right and we really need to start as an entire culture this isn't on parents or just parents this isn't on individuals it's not even on school it's as a society mm-hmm. we need to start to prioritize our mental health mm-hmm. and mental well-being. And sometimes that requires seeing a therapist or a, a professional for a period of time. Sometimes it's going in once or twice and then kind of 
coming out with a real strong checklist of everyday things that they can tweak or add on that's going to really help with their mental well-being. But again, it comes to prioritizing because I, I have parents oftentimes complain about the cost of their their psychological services for their kids, but they're paying thousands of dollars for here soccer. and there on other things that really are just about right. really be, being affluent and, and being middle class, whereas what are we really prioritizing? You know, I mean, every time uh, a, a family shows up to my office and they all have Starbucks and then they complain about like the cost of therapy. It's just like, you know, I have to yeah. take it with a grain of salt. Like where where are we prioritizing? Because I always tell people like, you know, I've had to tell kids and their parents like, we just have to scrape this semester. Like we just have to either accept or give them permission to like fail or get underperforming grades because their mental health is so poor. Like without that, everything crumbles. Right. And so right. you just sometimes have to say, well, what's the priority? What's the thing that is going to make everything better or possible, and what are those things that stops growth mm -hmm. and enhancement and moving forward in life? Right. Very, very deep mm -hmm. topics. Yeah, really good. Thank you so much yeah, for your insight. You. Um, Smarties, you can find more more of this conversation on all of our social media channels um, at Charlotte Smarty Pants, on Facebook and Instagram, at Shrink Tank for Southeast Psych. They do wonderful podcasts and blogs and, and so much. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank thank you. you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty Podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. <laughs>